it's actually doing it. Pretty good. Oh my god. And it's proper working. Proper working. Proper working. Johnny's been working on his Birmingham accent because he felt like he had a deficit <laughs> in that particular accent. We've we've done this. I think I've me- mentioned this a few times. I need to develop Yorkshire. I can't do anywhere yeah. in Yorkshire. Yeah, Yorkshire. That's that's all right. That. That's all right. But it, if you, you just can... say it. To... <laughs> Anyone can say the place. York. You're listening to the Propane Fitness Podcast, your ultimate resource for fat loss and muscle gain with none of the gimmicks. With your hosts, Yusuf and Johnny. Simple rules, dramatic results. I was on a stag weekend over the weekend because it was a stag weekend. Obviously. <laughs> and it was in the Isle of Butte, and a girl came up to me in a pub. <laughs> Clearly, because the the island has six and a half thousand population, everyone recognises when and you're not a from pub. an a pub. <laughs> she came up and was like, "Oh my god, you're giving me fanny flutters!" Oh, and she started feeling my abs, and uh, she was like, "Where where are you from?" And I'm like, "Oh, Newcastle." She, oh, I can do Newcastle, chicken burgers, chicken burgers. <laughs> like, that's not Newcastle, I'm afraid. What are you gonna do when she's when she writes in? Saying, I listened to the I listened to the podcast. You mocked my mocked Newcastle my, impression. Yeah. What are you going to do? Send her a cease and desist letter. <laughs> Official apology. Yusuf loves. So every every morning, you know, people have a morning routine where they like have Himalayan salt and lemon and water and expose themselves to natural light and all that sort of stuff. Yusuf just scans the internet for opportunities to send the cease and desist letters to people. <laughs> that, so that may sound like an exaggeration. You think I'm exaggerating for comic effect? I'm not. That's actually what he does. Part of my morning routine. So, Johnny was just telling us that Aubrey Marcus has a recommendation about tribal music. Yeah, I was. So, Aubrey Marcus is the CEO of Onnit, which is a company that sells, like... Brain-enhancing drugs. I, they also sell, like, maces and, like, skull kettlebells and... Maces? Ma- the, oh, okay. Like, not, yeah, not like a Not, a not weapon. as a weapon, yeah. just as a training like, tool. You know, and you know when people swing clubs and stuff for their shoulder movement, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um... So, anyway, so he was on a podcast that I was listening to being interviewed, and one of the recommendations to get sort of like more in touch with yourself, so he's like, loads of, loads of like tough guys, you know, the prospect of having like a cold shower, or, you know, being in a sauna for a long period of time, or doing anything difficult physically, they're like, oh yeah, I'll just, like, oh my god, I could just do that, oh my god, I'm so strong, but tell them to put music on, stand in a dark room, ideally with a blindfold on and just let the music make you dance however you want and he's like really test the limits of so you'll start to like move a little bit let just get absolutely carried away with it and if you feel like you shouldn't be doing something because it probably looks a bit weird Mm. do more of that thing very rainbow rhythms very rainbow rhythms and i immediately so i thought of rainbow rhythms Mm -hmm. and then i thought of you yeah so osho spiritual teacher teaches this method known as dynamic meditation where there's three phases one one is kind of the screaming and shouting and pounding the floor mm. and then doing this the dance thing where you've loosened up your body and you're kind of moving is like an interpretive dance moving with the music and then you lie on the floor afterwards and catch your breath i think that's the three stages i might have got the, the order mixed up but someone i spoke to recently just went on a weekend of doing that so, oh wow and, I, I, I thought this is a really weird niche thing you just, laugh about it, but 
No. So, actually, I've actually <laughs> completed a certification. <laughs> so he said that it was great, and but only if you fully let go. And he yeah. said there were people there that were dancing but trying to look cool, right. rather than fully going crazy. Which is so it. not Rainbow Rhythms. Exactly. If you get the Rainbow Rhythms reference, email us at admin at Just send us an email with the words Rainbow Rhythms yeah. and we'll be very happy. Or actually say, that is so Rainbow Rhythms. Thanks. So today we have, was that the Aubrey Marcus story? Yeah. Okay. Just well, that and I thought it's the first time I'd, I'd heard, ever heard anyone mention that. I'd like to try that. I'll film it and put it on YouTube. Well, it's got to be a dark room. Uh, he recommends dark room because he says as soon as someone watches you... Well, you restrict. Uh, okay, so blindfold maybe, and then even if it. you know you're being filmed, you'll do it differently. Uh-huh. If you just by yourself. There was a guy who set up a YouTube channel. This is unrelated. It was called Sitting and Smiling, and the guy uploaded daily videos <laughs> of him sitting and smiling at the camera for four hours, and he didn't miss a day for a year. Didn't he get broken into while it was happening? He got yeah. So he got broken into while he was sitting and smiling at the camera. Didn't break eye contact with the camera. The robber comes in, gets spooked by the guy, and leaves. Absolutely mind-blowing. There's there's not much, actually, that would be more disturbing. I as think. a burglar. Yeah. Because like, you, you have an expected reaction as a burglar, I imagine. And when someone is filming themselves, smiling... Comes in the room, he's like, oh my god, it's the guy from Sitting and Smiling. I, I better not disturb him while he's filming. And left. That must have been the thought process. Is he still going? I don't know. He was invited onto TV and interviews and stuff, and he sent them a really scathing, sarcastic response, just like, fuck off, I'm not... <laughs> turning up on your interview like this is not some attention cry this is my art like this is not for fun don't right. cheapen my sitting and smiling <laughs> on the camera like he's clearly <laughs> a special guy um <laughs> i wish this was on video so people could see the face he just made <laughs> you could probably even hear the face that i just made i want to do would you rather okay we haven't got one have we what are we talking about today? We could genuinely... So, what I was thinking of, and I, I realise I'm springing this on you, Johnny, but oh, I thought we um, could tackle the safe and politically correct topic of fat shaming. Oh my God. Because it's something that... I mean, luckily we have a real ex-fat man in the room, so by definition we can't be offensive. Like, I weighed 100 kilos on the weekend. Exactly. So, there you go. People can't see. But say... you also used to be... I did. Used to be Chubay. 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 Shubay. We were we got a little shout out on the Would You Rather website the other day. So imagine, right? I haven't read this, so this could be terrible. <laughs> yeah. Imagine you are in a room with two chairs, and you have to sit on one and eat what's on the other. On <laughs> one you have a cake, and the other you have a dick. Oh God. Well, I love how you you start reading it thinking this is PG. This will be okay. Very quickly. <laughs> Would you rather eat the dick and sit on the cake, or sit on the dick and eat the cake? Should we do another one? <laughs> let's, let's do another one, <laughs> quickly. Okay. Well, actually, what's your answer? So that implies that the, like, the dick doesn't have to That's enter, it, yeah. does it? Yeah. Just as, well. There's loads of loads of things that haven't been specified. So would you rather know the worst thing that someone's ever said about you behind your back, or the nicest thing someone said about you while you've not been there? The worst thing. Yep. Oh, a huge opportunity for improvement, isn't it? Definitely. Although, actually, I'd like to hear the the top ten worst things. Yes, definitely. Because then you can, because the worst thing is like reading a one star Amazon review. It's just going to be someone who was pissed off at you for whatever reason. Like the mm. guy this morning that I, I parked on a guy's doorstep, and although he wasn't happy about it, 
there was nothing he could have done. He was upset. He would have left me a one-star review, said yeah. something very negative behind my back, but it wouldn't have been an indication of my, well, maybe... Of you in general. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you want the top 10 nicest things and the top 10 worst things. Mm-hmm. Opportunities for refinement and improvement. Oh, would you rather save one starving child in Africa or have a lightsaber? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> So you've got to you've got to consider. I'd get the lightsaber, and profit from it, and then use the profits to save a starving child. That's like the the clip on Golden Balls. Have I sent you that? No. Oh yeah. The the game theory guy. Where the guy's like, trust me, I'm going to take the money, and split it. It's like, trust me, give me the lightsaber. I promise that I will use it for loads of really good things and give. Loads of money to charity. Yeah. When not really, no one's going to know if you just go home and swing it around, <laughs> swing it swing around. It around in your room. <laughs> I don't know if I could be trusted with a light stick. Like, those things, they're meant to be, they cut through anything, don't they? Yeah. It's so, non-discriminatory, you just through anything. Right. Yeah. So, you're playing with it, you'd want to just be like, mm, I wonder if I just touch yeah. it. Yeah. It's um, like if you have a really sharp knife, there's a, there's a part of you that wants to just see, just like, just rub the blade with the edge of your thumb. How could you profit from a lightsaber? Well, selling it is the obvious thing. Okay, if you wanted renewable income from it, uh, I reckon... Let um, people have a go. Okay, but then once they've got it, how are you going to get it back off them? If they say, get back, <laughs> I'm keeping this, I've got a lightsaber. Shoot them in the head. I see. I would <laughs> set up as a handyman and d- use it to make, or like a joiner, <laughs> and use it to make really clean cuts in wood and sell the wood. So uh, wood sculptures. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think you could sell... That's not a very high end <laughs> service. Like I understand, I understand what you're saying, but like, would so if someone pays, I don't know, ten pounds an hour for a joiner, are they going to pay a thousand pounds an hour for you? It's <laughs> unlikely, isn't it? I see. Whereas, come to my house and have a go with my have lightsaber. Have a go with the lightsaber for a million pounds. While you point the gun at them, <laughs> it's like. So you could you could re- you could build a room like a safe room. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what the room would be made of because obviously it goes through everything. It would have to be made of the stuff that the handle of the lightsaber is made of. I'm not sure. That's assuming that the blade extends into the handle. Right. Maybe not. It um, gets shot out the handle, doesn't it? But it's yeah. the, it's like, is there is there light from a torch in a torch? No, there isn't. But yeah. there's just... <laughs> you could work in an abattoir. You, you, the thing is, you, yeah, could, you, couldn't, you couldn't do uh, precision engineering with it because you just... At the end of the day, you're holding a sword. Like, how accurately are you going to cut? Big laser something sword. With it? Yeah. So I think either, like, maybe you could go around and do shows with your lightsaber. So, like, fill the O2 arena, which you definitely, definitely could. Mm-hmm. Of you cutting melons and balloons and stuff. That's well, how to do we'll it. We'll have to think about that's that. That's the answer. These are so much fun, aren't they? We should just do an offshoot of this podcast <laughs> that's just Would You Rather questions. Would you rather never lose energy while doing your favourite activity or gain a constant gain a constant five dollars for every second you do something you dislike so someone's just said I, i'm constantly doing things i dislike and would definitely appreciate being paid for it i mean most people don't like their jobs and they're being paid for that so but not every second that'd be quite good mm. would you rather make 100k a year and have sex once a week or make 40k a year and have sex every day that is a fantastic question so that means we have 312 days of extra sex gained from the 60k so 60,000 divided by 312 that means you're paying 192 pounds per sex and I don't think that's worth it <laughs> the speed with which you dissected that question is incredible 
make a hundred grand a year and have sex once a week are you but the, the trade-off that you're evaluating is like that there's a i know you're working out as a price per sex but you have to consider the the value that actually happens when you reduce the frequency of something or increase the frequency of i something. see like the value change so actually there's diminishing returns going from one day to seven days a week probably yeah hard to say i'd agree hard to say it's what you could do with 100k to bring greater utility probably quite, like, it, okay if someone said to you the other way around i'll give you 192 pounds a day and all you have to do is abstain for six days a week yeah you'd be like absolutely mate and then someone said i get to have sex less than once a month and i make about 26k a year i'll take <laughs> option one please <laughs> i mean improvement <laughs> both <laughs> Fine. On that note. Fat shaming. Fat shaming. Go. This is something that I think people kind of dodge around because it's, it's been in the news recently. It's been, it's been quite a touchy subject. Mainly something we posted on Facebook recently, which was a woman who took offence to the Cancer Research UK advert that says that obesity is one of the largest causes of cancer. And she, the she fence was, saying, was undamaged as well. The fence. <laughs> <laughs> she said that this kind of message is very damaging and kills more people than cancer does mm. which i think is a, a bit of a claim but people then started responding saying are you trying to school cancer research about cancer because mm. i think they've got i think they've got this covered now this is the this is kind of the problem that i'm not saying we should discriminate against fat people at all but when the touchiness goes so far the other way that when someone is talking from a completely empirical point of view, saying you are at higher risk of cancer if you are overweight or obese, there is no value judgment placed there. That is what the research says. And yet trying to suppress people saying that or people um, having a go at their doctors for giving weight loss advice or whatever, then we start to get into quite dangerous territory. It's a really difficult thing to talk about because I think people look at being overweight and think, well, I can be overweight if I want because mm -hmm. there's only a cost on me. And, you know, people often compare being overweight to smoking and drinking and, like, other negative activities. But there is a, there is a social cost, obviously, isn't there? And that's, that's what's hard to, to bring into the equation because it's someone's mm -hmm. emotions and the way they feel about their, their, their appearance. But also, there's, because there's a heightened health risk, there is a social cost financially. For the person or for others? For, the, for, for society. Yeah, as you said, there is no... We're, you're free to do whatever you want and make mm -hmm. any, any choices that you want, but... What the people who are campaigning against this are saying is that they don't want to take responsibility for the consequences of their action. And mm -hmm. as much as we might despise the fact that fat people are uh, discriminated against, and that is an abhorrent thing, we shouldn't be discriminating against anyone in um, you know, any population of people based on things that aren't to do with you know, conscious choices that they've made, for example. Every action has consequences, mm. and we may not like those consequences, but the reality is the reality. And so it's quicker to change ourselves than it is to try and change the world in many cases. Do you think that, so to say, no one should be discriminated against? Do you think that someone who smokes should be discriminated against? In terms of NHS funding and... In any way. So there's, there's been two arguments for that. And there's certain surgeons that refuse to operate on smokers. Right. Because it's a self-inflicted thing. Now... The counter-argument, and my opinion on this, is that we all deal with our pain in different ways. Mm -hmm. And some people choose to smoke, some people choose to under-eat, some choose to over-eat. All of these different 
things are choices that we make that have an effect on our body. Some of the ways that some of us deal with pain are, are more societally productive in that we bury, like certainly for myself, I bury myself in work, whereas other people might bury themselves in food or in tobacco or alcohol mm-hmm. or whatever. And so Gabor Mate talks about this and says how everyone chooses their poison. And so to say that a smoker makes a conscious decision every time they smoke a cigarette is ignoring the bigger, the picture. bigger picture of that. Mm. I think I agree that everyone has a like a crutch that they go to or a coping mechanism. I do think they are treated differently. That's just if you take smoking and obesity as two, mm. two separate things, but of a similar in a similar way. Like, but both of them are advertised publicly as this is a bad idea. Yeah, people do it anyway. So if you take smoking and obesity as two concepts within the same idea of both bad ideas, both publicly, lots of information of, you know, being obese or smoking frequently is bad for your health. People do it anyway. I think they are still considered as two different things. I think, I, I don't know many people who would say, for example, that person has a really bad smoking habit, but it's just the way that they cope with things. But you would hear obesity, I think, justified in that way that's often. true and i suppose it's because information on smoking like we unanimously know that smoking causes death mm. it's 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 like it's one of the few things that are scientifically kind of scientifically as proven as can be that there is a direct link between smoking and mortality and everyone knows that and anyone who starts smoking at this point they have the information there is very few humans in the world who don't know that and so to start doing it you're taking a conscious choice to shorten your life Mm. and to increase your health burden with obesity i don't think anyone decides to become fat or very Mm. few people do and the environment is engineered such that it becomes a very uh, a a very quick snowball to get fatter and fatter we'd start we we overeat to maybe initially suppress some kind of pain and as as gabor mate says there's a high incidence of um, history of sexual abuse in people who are obese so the initial initial wound is filled with food and then over time we dysregulate our appetites there are certain physiological processes that cause us to continue on this cycle and then because of the biases that obese people face the discrimination the um, worsened sense of self-image and the depression that ensues that widens the wound and then they fill it with more food and the cycle continues and also the further away or the further down the path of becoming obese you are, the harder it is to make that decision of like, all of this stops now. Mm. I'm going to begin the potentially multiple year journey. Because to you've get created the momentum. The momentum the behavior. Yeah. And you've got more weight to lose by that point. Mm. Yeah. So I think I speak for both of us here that the, the benefits that we've seen our clients get when they've lost weight and the stuff that they come and tell us, it's not like, oh, I can see my abs, like whatever. It's like, I'm feeling better, people are treating me differently, I found a girlfriend, I feel much better about myself, I'm more confident, um, I'm having, having more sex, like all these kind of peripheral benefits that they get, which really is just the biggest advert for the fact that if you are obese, you are suffering the unfortunate consequences of being obese. And again, these are evidence-based biases that people look at obese people and they report character traits based on how they, how they look. People look at it when in studies, people judge obese people to be lazier and less intelligent and they judge lean people to be more intelligent and more hard, more driven and that kind of thing. So 
really the there has to be a point where you say right is all of this worth the discrimination from employers healthcare professionals potential romantic partners friends strangers is it worth getting that kind of discrimination constantly or um, can I do something to switch the way that switch my lifestyle switch the way that I'm living and obviously it's not just a case of like oh well I'm I'm fat so I'm gonna become <laughs> lean today. I'm gonna stop now yeah I think the there probably is a, a point at which it's it is just a decision for someone you know I think there's a there is a, a body fat level a BMI point at which someone can just say I'm changing I think there's also a point at which it takes a huge upheaval psychologically to commit to that decision when someone is overweight to the point where you are looking at two years Mm -hmm. three years before you start to get to the point where you are you have in your head as like that's my end goal and as you say like if it's being driven by emotions rather than rational thought to try and cure it with a rational decision of oh well i'm just going to start tracking my calories from tomorrow and that will outweigh any emotional baggage that i have as a result is probably also a hard a hard decision to just suddenly do so there has to be a two two-pronged approach mm. the, the diet approach which is the mechanics of it that's where that's our area of expertise and then there is the addiction side of it dealing with the addiction filling that hole recognizing the original wound that we carry and filling it with connection, social connection with other people. That's, that's again, in the data seems to show that it's one of the biggest determinants of whether someone can become addicted. And they think that this is why people who have been administered morphine in hospital compared to, don't develop addictions, compared to people who try it recreationally, because it's coming from a different place and people who try it recreationally are more predisposed to addiction because they're socially isolated. And so social support and a bunch of other things that, you know, if you're interested in addiction stuff, it's not our area, but Dr. Gabor Mate is kind of the, at least the most prominent physician of addiction. And don't think that if you're listening to this, like if you're thinking, oh, I haven't got an addiction, how many times do you check Facebook every day? Mm. How many times do you, yeah, check WhatsApp, email? How often are you posting on Instagram? How, I don't know, how, how much do you drink? There's many ways that we can Fill the addiction. I think so. like well, so- social media, phone use, probably alcohol, caffeine. Oh, caffeine, yeah. Porn. Porn. Big one. We last we- week's podcast was on oh, two weeks ago. Three yeah. weeks ago. A few weeks ago. In the past. <laughs> Check that yeah. out, propianefitness.com forward slash porn. It was a, a brave reader of ours asked about his porn addiction. And uh, we go through some of the, the processes that you can do to um, pull yourself away from that and how you can live a happier life by... Uh, resetting your sensitivity to pleasure and to stimulus. So the, the the shaming side of this equation comes from there's there's two things that are that are are annoying about it. I suppose one is that the like the most aggressive shaming comes from people who probably understand the least, and then it's the people who respond to the shaming in a way that is so unreasonable and emotionally driven that it just kind of flames fans the flames of the argument and we just makes them look ridiculous exactly and then annoys the people who are the most annoyed about the thing in the first place (laughs) but what is interesting is that as you were saying every i think everybody has an addiction of some kind and so while you may look at someone who is obese and not be able to relate all they are all they have is the consequence of something that you have in your life it's just 
placed in a different part of their life or a different part of their emotional makeup. In the same way, people look at someone who's obese and, and make all sorts of assumptions about like their life's a mess. You know, they're really unhygienic. They've got no willpower. I think more than likely they will be really high performing in something else in their life. Mm. And I think we all have an area. It's so people who make judgments are people who judge because they take a lot of care over their nutrition, over their appearance, over the way that they manage their diet and their training. And who may have other addictions that are not as visible. Other addictions and other areas in their life where like maybe they procrastinate or maybe they, they're terrible with work or sleep habits or maybe they do drugs on the weekend or whatever. So I think these things that we, that we judge in other people, there's always something that we are doing that is similar to that but somewhere else. The trouble is, is that the two people are on almost on two ends of the spectrum or two areas of the same spectrum and it's hard to relate. Mm-hmm. Someone with a someone with a drug or a porn problem can't relate to someone who's obese. Even though really there's a lot even of similarities. The processes are the same. Yeah. It's, it's so it's interesting, isn't it? And so I guess the points that we're making are addiction has many faces, but the obesity addiction, because there is a fundamental bias against obese people, and this is indisputable and unfortunately it is the reality rather than waiting for that reality to change it's much better that you recognize the extent to which it's harming your life if you are someone who is overweight or obese and is not happy with your body image and you recognize that there is a huge amount of discrimination that you may face even if you're not conscious of it and and a lot of our clients say that um, when they got leaner so many aspects of how people treat them and how they felt about themselves improved So you owe it to yourself to start making steps towards that by implementing both the mechanics of the diet and also um, doing some introspection and looking towards what you can do to um, dislodge that that loop in general. Switching one addiction for another is one way that people do things, but you can actually uproot the fundamental pain point, the fundamental wound um, in general. But it's a slow process and it requires some kind of spiritual practice. The one that I always go on about is meditation, but there's many that you can do and find the one that matches you the best. Also, it's worth checking out Dr. Gabor Mate. There's an interview on the Tim Ferriss podcast most recently with him. Um, and he's got the most silky voice. He's a Hungarian um, doctor of addiction that has a, a huge original wound himself because he was brought up during the um, Second World War and his he, was, he had a lot of problems in his family being killed in the concentration camps and um, you know that that had a real impact on him, and it's given him a huge insight into the processes that are going on here. The benefit of being obese is that if that is how your addiction manifests, it's pretty easy to spot. To the extent that I think, if you were to ask a large room of people, like raise your hand if you have a social media addiction, mm-hmm. or a drug problem, an alcohol problem, a caffeine addiction, a porn addiction, there may be people in the room who kind of do all of those things but probably don't think they have an addiction and I think if you like if you aren't sure whether your body fat levels are healthy or not or you aren't sure whether you know obesity is is playing a negative part in your life either ask a GP or a healthcare professional or if you're already involved in health and fitness and you don't want to go by BMI or something similar then you probably already know the answer to the question so it's a there's a very clear red flag warning sign of like this has become an unhealthy attribute that I have and it, it requires addressing. Whereas I think other addictions can be a lot less obvious, a lot less in your face and they can get a lot more severe before it's like, 
wow, oh my God, like this is really overwhelming and I can't do anything about it. There we go. So Loads of tips. Loads of tips. So let us know your thoughts on that. Um, if we have upset any of you, then send us a message and you know have, have a think about why this is why this has upset you because really we've said nothing inherently offensive here but it's a touchy subject and often the things that trigger us the most are the things that are closest to the bone and the things that we need mm. to maybe um, look at more carefully ourselves yeah so i think we, we try to we try to stay objective on issues like this and some like i've as you have mentioned i've had personal experience of fat shaming so i've been on the kind of the sharp end of the of the argument and I think it's, um, it is something that, because it's about personal image and because it's a very hurtful thing to be on the on the wrong end of, it can be something that's very easy to get offended by. But as Yusuf says, that's often one of the the best indicators that there's a an underlying issue and something that requires addressing, rather than just thinking those guys are dicks. You know, they've they've said things that are largely. Uh, emotionless and not directed at anyone, but I'm still offended. So it's the yeah. classic thing, isn't it? Like, all, you know, when someone says something to you and you're like, oh, that, that guy's a dickhead anyway. Like, like <laughs> shut up, man. And then, like, two days later, you're like, mm, oh, maybe yeah. you did have a point. Just before we go, I, I would like to hear a little bit about your experience of being the fat kid overweight. and how it, how it affected how you saw yourself. I was my most overweight transitioning from. I changed schools when I was 13, moved from, uh, or moved to where you were, basically. So that's when, it was my first exposure to Yusuf, um, when I was 13. You had long hair. Yep. Little long hair. Tragic. You're also really lean. <laughs> no mass, though. <laughs> I was the opposite. I think when you're that age, it's hard, it takes a while to, to realise, like, actually, I'm the I'm the fat friend. And it was it was actually, like, interactions with, like my friends would go meet a group of girls at the weekend and I would, there'd be comments and like jokes made about I was red in the face or like I was always wearing baggy clothing. Mm. And it does, you immediately, because you when you're that age, you're so impressionable and you don't really have a formed image of yourself yet. That becomes how you see yourself. And it can be very difficult to to not let that become the thing that you then self-identify with. So I think the something that I clearly remember, I speak about this quite a lot, is that there was literally a, a moment where I was like, fuck this. Can and I ask it, you about that? Yeah. So you, you presumably got something from overeating when you were younger, otherwise you wouldn't have yeah. been doing it. Yeah. What did it give you at the time? And, and obviously then it hit a point where you were mm. like, actually, the cost is, out, is outweighing the benefit here, so I'm mm. going to stop, fuck this. But I don't know what it did. I don't have any memories of, of, of kind of suppressing emotion with it. I just remember Not necessarily, liking, like, liking some, food. Yeah. I, and I, so there was a point where like the liking food... Became irrelevant. Yeah. yeah. So I can remember... So my dad used to say, like, you know, don't, don't overeat. And don't, you know, if he saw me with a big bowl of cocoa pops, I don't know why this is sticking in my head. He saw me with a big bowl of cocoa pops. And he was like, be careful with those Jonathan. Be careful. <laughs> Nasty things. And uh, I used to sneak down in the morning before he, I knew he would come downstairs to have a bigger bowl of cocoa pops. <laughs> that was something that really clearly sticks in my head. thing is, cocoa pops are They're bloody mint. nice. Yeah. yeah. So the thing is, is that I don't think I was really aware of 
you're young and you there's, you're doing something you like doing and someone goes oh you should, don't do that and you're like oh fuck off yeah you don't understand the consequence and I don't think I really knew what I was doing other than I like Coco Pops Coco Pops like me what's the problem we're one happy Definitely. family <laughs> so yeah so the moment was just moved schools just sort of got involved with a, a group of new friends who were really friendly with a group of girls is it do you want is this what you want yeah, to, yeah. it's just maybe a bit boring I initially quite excluded Got in, got a text message one evening. So this would be, I'd probably be like 15. Mm. It's quite surprising that I had a phone. Got a text message inviting me around thinking like, oh my God, this is it. Like this is rite of passage. I'm finally being accepted into, right, opening into, the social into cool circle. kids. Yeah. So I remember walking to this house. It was like in the, in the same village. Um, and as I arrived, they were leaving. And like me going there was this source of amusement. It was to like invite me there mm. as a, that is brutal. Yeah, nasty. Nasty. So, and my, I don't know why, the first thing I went to was like, it's, I'm the fat friend. Like, I'm just the joke. I'm the butt of the jokes. Yeah. That was the moment where I was like, I don't want to be like that anymore. I'm just going to run home. So ran home, shattered, mm. like really <laughs> tired. And then over the, over the sort of the next six months, it probably was taking what was a, an addiction to eating and transferring it onto exercise. And that became running for me was the thing. However, some forms of addiction, you know, that's been very productive for you. And it's, it's given you a huge, uh, like you, you recently pulled 300 at competition. Just missed three term. As a result of that. Yeah. So I think it, so I'm really grateful for that moment. I think it either becomes something that spirals or you either, it either drags you down or mm-hmm. you use it as, because a lot of people that I know now, who are in great shape, really strong, and fitness is like a real part of their life, were overweight when they were younger. Right, interesting. And there's almost a part of me that thinks that it's one of the best ways to get into fitness. Well, see, so here you have, you've transplanted the addiction, but both the what the addiction gives you and the side effects of that addiction mm-hmm. are both beneficial. Yeah. So really, it no longer, it ceases to become an addiction because an addiction is defined as something which you do compulsively can't stop doing and has negative effects on your life. Mm. So really then you've managed to alchemize it into something better. There was a, an art or like a short article on T nation years ago called like the Phoenix theory or the Phoenix moment, Mm. which is this idea that so many people fail with body transformations over and over and over and over again. And when they're successful, it's when they stop feeling self pity and start feeling angry. And it's the moment, it's the, the transition where it's like the phoenix and the flames, where suddenly it doesn't matter how hard it is, you're just going to do it regardless. <clears throat> and I think that's probably explains most clearly how the switch in thinking. Because you were the other end of the spectrum, right? Yeah. But you still went through the same, there was still this relentless, like, I'm just going to put myself through this regardless. Yeah, exactly. Pretty, what's the word? It's pretty stupid looking back on it because... Over the years, I didn't, I just didn't take the blinkers off and ended up injuring my back. But um, even that has been beneficial because I've been able to learn a lot of lessons from it, adapted my training as a result, and it's made me a better coach. But that is for another day. In mm. fact, it was for a previous podcast. Is it in the past? It's in the past. It's in we the will, past. We will put a link to it in the show notes. Lovely, lovely, lovely. So that is it for our thoughts on fat shaming. With the false ending about 10 minutes ago, and we had a little bonus story from Johnny. That story is actually covered in an article called... What, what Fitness Did For Me. What Fitness Did For Me. 
great post, definitely worth reading. Did very well in terms of uh, shares and things, so it obviously hit a nerve with people. Okay, speak to you all next week. Okay, bye, Dan.